Thanks for listening to Rare Bird Radio. I'm Doug Cooper, author of the award-winning fiction Outside In and the Investment Club and the recently released thriller Focus Lost. This podcast is sponsored by Rare Bird Books, based in Los Angeles, a publisher of 50-plus books per year, distributed worldwide by PGW. Today, I have the pleasure of being in conversation with Martin J. Weiss, author of Flamingo Coast and The Second Sun, and the writer of the movies The Alchemist Agenda, winner of Amazon Studios' $20,000 Best Screenwriting Award, and Crime Beat, a finalist at the Austin Film Festival. Welcome, Martin. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you, Doug. Yeah, I really loved Flamingo Coast. You know, as I told you, we talked offline a little bit and man, it just sucked me in and took me for a ride from New York to the Cayman Islands and, and beyond. Um, so did you spend some time in the Cayman Islands doing some research on this? A little bit, but not enough. Um, but I, I did go down to to some of the places where they do offshore banking and, and it's just fascinating because uh, it's such a big deal now. And, and as the book talks about some, somewhere in the realm of $7 trillion of unreported income goes offshore. And that was uh, one of the inspirations for the book. So did you have any trouble with getting people to open up or how, how do you do research on, on something like this that is kind of closed off for a reason? It's a great question. I actually had a lot of confidential conversations and I talked to several tax attorneys, especially uh, in the book. There's, there's a lot of historical uh, stuff about because it parallels the, a, a story that is actually true that happened in the 70s and 80s uh, with a bank that was down in the Bahamas. And it, it's, it, it still affects a lot of people that are alive today that were uh, in trouble uh, with with the IRS at the time, and and it all went away. It's all explained in the book why that happened, and there's a reason why it parallels the the present day story. Um, but it's it's it is something people don't like to open up about, and a lot of people said, "I don't want my name on this," but I'll tell you what happened. And um, if you read between the lines, um, there is much fact in the in the book. Yeah, it reads like it could be you know a hundred percent true. And, you know, Jennifer Morton, who's who's your lead character, you know, she's tough, talented. Um, you know, I liked some of the, the characterization on her. You know, she was banned from her rec hockey league. She enjoys, you know, drinking brown liquor. She knows how to throw a punch and can hold her own in a fight. And she's not afraid to take chances. So how did you, um, you know, develop her? How did you decide to make this a female character that's that's a funny story and i'm almost embarrassed to tell you but um it started out it was a, it was a male character and in um in the development of it uh somebody was interested in making the movie and they the producers that were attached suggested that we make it into a, a female lead and i said that's interesting but it's kind of a story about a father and son uh, I don't think so. And then I, I went back to it uh, a few weeks after that and I said, let me try it. And I changed, I think uh, the name I was using was Jeffrey Morton and it, it uh, changed to Jennifer Morton. And I just changed all the pronouns and I started reading and I said, you know, this is actually more interesting and less cliche uh, of a character. And I, not that he, you know, I had the same male or female cliche, uh, characteristics but um it's i i, I like that she had um uh, aggressive 
uh, attributes that that really were were an important part of the character coming coming to life and and who she is and how she she comes to terms with her past. And I think it all made sense. It came together, and I liked it much better as a female. And it, it became a, a father daughter story instead. And and um, it was it was based on the suggestion of somebody else. And I I kind of found that it worked. Yeah, I, you know, I can't imagine it uh, the the other way because she's just so compelling and, you know, she's strong, she's smart, but, you know, she's also damaged, definitely has some some daddy issues, you know, that she's that she's working through. And, you know, the, a lot of great twists and turns. And when somebody asked me, you know, what I was reading and I was telling them about about Flamingo Coast and, and you know, and I described it, I said, you know, it's very complex without being complicated. You know, and I think you did such a good job of, you know, telling this very intricate, you know, story. But it just flowed, uh, flowed really well. You know, how did you keep, you know, th- those details, but also just such a nice flow and rhythm to it? Thank you for that. I, I, it, I worked hard at it. There is a lot to explain, and yet it's, it's in the context of an action-adventure thriller, you know, uh, and, and the, sto- the story um, kept developing, and I kept uh, working in because a lot of the, a lot of the um, initial things that, that brought me to the story were some of the, the facts, and they are, especially when we start talking about uh, tax evasion and and the like, it could be very complicated. So I try to dive in as much as I can. I did a lot of research. I talked to a lot of tax attorneys, and uh, when I formulated wh- what I think, how I think these things work by summing some of the parts, then I try to funnel it through a way that it could be understood as much as po- as easily as possible, and um, not try to have too much exposition with uh, and, and lose track of the story because the story always comes first. But, um, but there was a lot, there was a lot to explain. And so I did go back a lot of times and say, well, I had to explain a lot here. Let me see if there's a way to plant it earlier. So the reader can just, so it just flows smoothly. So it just, it, it's a build of knowledge instead of dumping a lot of information all at once. So hopefully it didn't get technical at all or feel technical. That, that was my uh, intention. Yeah, I always felt like the, the, the details were mixed in at the, the right level, you know, some facts here, but it was never like this exposition that was, you know, being being dumped on you. Um, and I, I like that, you know, you see her in the beginning and, you know, she brings home this big case with this, you know, this Max Culpepper who she catches and, you know, she's feeling really good. She outsmarted him. Um but he had kind of a backup plan. And when she um, comes out with that, you know, she ends up losing her job. So she kind of outsmarted herself. And then when she catches back up with him and, you know, finds him down in the Cayman and, and he's landed in, the, in a place where, and I, I love the three plans that were available to these people, the gimme shelter, the unplugged and the dropping off the grid. How, how did you develop those three those three plans? You know that came out of some of the technicalities when I when I did the research and found out all the ways 
that um, people do drop off the grid. Um, and I found fascinating books online that were like how to hide your money and disappear. And they had all this high tech stuff that you could do how to, you know, not have a trace of yourself and how to, you know, you know, lose all your credit cards and lose any, any identification, how to really transform yourself. There was so much information and it was so cool that I decided to, you know, put it into a plan of, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, small, medium and large. And this, these are the ways that people could do it. You know, if you're just trying to hide a little bit and if you're trying to hide a lot, if you need to completely cut all your ties. And so it just seemed to make sense that, that, that this, this fictitious place that um, does all this work for you would break it up and, and charge accordingly. So it was it kind of went backwards that way. But uh, that's all made up, but it's using uh, facts that uh, people supposedly do use to hide their money. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good example of what we were talking about before, how you're able to take you know some of this complexity and allow this information and distill it down into this you know, digestible, you know, three plan option. Um, and, you know, and he gave it a little catchy, catchy names and, and it was just easy, easy to, easy to understand. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, he, he should maybe trademark these. All of a sudden you're going to, you're going to come across, Hey, somebody's offering, uh, you know, these, these identity, identity plans. It's it's like a roadmap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So yeah. how, how did you, you know, would you say, so obviously a lot of this information, you did a ton of research, what percentage of this stuff would you say you actually, you actually use when you do this, do you just amass all this info and then kind of structure and, and, and take pieces and pieces and then just, uh, you know, kind of leave what, what you're not using? Yeah. And you have to weed out. I mean, there was, there's so much to it and I, I, you know, I started working on this a while ago because it was so vast and I really um, always thought this would make a, a good series because, you know, there's so many situations I read about. And, you know, I started also thinking a lot about the whole Bernie Madoff thing and that, you know, mm -hmm. has a little influence in there, too, just because, you know, especially after the financial crisis, you would read so much about things like that. And um, recently I read a book, I don't know if you read it, um, called The Banker's Wife. Christina Algier, Algier, she's a great writer, and um, it, it was quite interesting. She came from a banking background and uh, used a lot of the same world, but told in a very different way. And it's just kind of neat to see how another person would take take this sort of information and translate it into a, a fiction told from a different point of view. And it, you know, I, I just think it's such a big subject, and it and it does translate well to how we live today and what a material world we become and, you know, how people are trying to beat the system. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. I just, I just found it all fascinating. Yeah. I, I, you mentioned that you were thinking of it as, as a series um, because as I was reading it, you know, I could definitely see it as a movie, but with the spinoff, you know, you could do it as a series too, because the characters that could just come into this, this scene, I mean, you could tell so many different stories on top of the ones that you use to kind of, you know, create these settings and these characters, you know, could, could keep going. Um, but you see it more as a series. 
I, I thought about that. I did something really weird. Um, the book that I published last year, uh, just before, is called The Second Son. And um, I was working back and forth on both at, at one point. And I wound, it, I wound up ending both of them in a similar place, lo similar location, which isn't quite a real location. And I did that on purpose. And um, I thought about tying, even though totally unrelated books, I thought about one of the characters that could continue on and one of the characters from um, the other and bring him together for, I guess it wouldn't really be a, a true serial or sequel, but um, bring him together that would start off the grid and then go back to society um, in, in a way. And I had some ideas for that. And there was like a, a funny story about that because the, the, the first book, The Second Son, when I was just, I was finishing that um, just when this one was getting into the editing phase. And I was, I was doing a final touch on it. And um, I was moving my family to a different home by um, near, near a beach that um, had a different area. And I called, I called this fictitious place, uh, I think I called it Pelican Cove. And I was hiking with my son uh, near the beach. And that day that I just finished it, I ran into a little place called Pelican Cove. And I thought, I thought it was a sign. I don't know what. Yeah, means. yeah. It's always tough in these. I don't know if we want to say where that the place they end up because we don't want to give away any spoilers. Um, but uh, have you spent time? Do you typically um, do do that research? I know you said you spent a little bit of time in the Caymans, but you know the places that that you write about. Do you go and actually experience them? I try to, and um, I, I say that I, I do as much as I can. Um, you had mentioned the Alchemist Agenda was uh, was uh, something that I worked on for a while, and that that inspiration came from places that I had filmed. It was all, all I used locations that were my my one of my favorite thing about being a filmmaker was being able to travel, and when you do a location scout, you get to actually see places that you never got to see in a, a unique way, and I love that, and that, and that was. Totally the background and inspiration for that. So I do it a lot. However, with The Second Son, uh, it takes place between Silicon Beach, which is Santa Monica, and which I am very familiar with because I used to live there, and uh, up the coast to Silicon Valley because it, it, it's, it's sort of a tech thriller. And I have never, I've been to the San Francisco area, but I've never been to Silicon Valley. And, I, and it takes place a lot in Big Sur, which I have been to. But I, I wanted to go up to Silicon Valley and, and do more research than I had done on the internet to, for that book, but I never made it up there to, to do it, uh, you know, to really get a picture of it and a feel for, for, the, for the details. But that, that reminds me of something, because I, I have a question for you about Focus Lost, mm -hmm. which um, I read and I loved, and that's your, is that your third novel? Yeah, third, yep. Great. So, so Doug, I, I loved Focus Lost, and... Um, that was a question I was going to ask you because location is su such an important part, character in your story, an important part of your story. And you write about Hollywood, Hollywood life, Los Angeles life. And it was such great details. And that was, that was one of the most enjoyable parts of the book was, was reading about them. A lot of them were places that I know. And, um, I was gonna, I was just wondering, did, did you live here? Did you do a lot of research? How did you, uh, how did how did you paint that picture? Yeah, so settings is a big part of of all three of my books, and 
previous two books, Outside In, I actually spent a lot of time and lived on the island where it takes place. And the Investment Club, which is in Las Vegas, I also spent a lot of time uh, and lived there for several years while I was writing it. But also while I was in Las Vegas, I was making trips to Los Angeles doing the research. And with our publisher, Rare Bird, there, any trips there, I was doing all this research. And, you know, I said to myself, well, do I want to move there after I finished um, Investment Club? And then I said, well, if, if I keep moving everywhere that I'm writing about, that's going to be a, you know, it, it'll be an interesting journey, but it, it's it's going to take its toll on me. So I kind of combined it when I was in in Las Vegas and just did a lot, a lot of trips there, spent time there, you know, did a lot of uh, different research. But one of the ways I, I research is when I go, I love just walking, you know, and just walking the streets, any place that I'm thinking, walking and, you know, usually by myself stopping, kind of fly on the wall type stuff and just just soaking it, just soaking it in and then then taking it back and and kind of turning it back out. But like you, when we were talking about the financial stuff, you know, I probably amass so much detail and then maybe use 20, you know, 20 percent um, and just try to pick the real salient salient things but one of the challenges i'm having uh right now is my fourth book that i'm working on i've been debating do i want to set it in the actual place of where um i'm kind of using as a model and because i've had some blowback on some of the other locations that i've, I've used where people don't you know if you tell too much of the truth they they don't like that either so um i'm kind of on the fence but i i think i've decided hey that's a part of my process, my writing. I like using the actual places. I think it makes it better for the readers. And then if they travel and are interested in the place and they can go and they can see for themselves the places that, you know, we've written about and form their own opinions on, hey, did they capture this? Do I agree? Don't I agree? You know, what's the experience like for them? And and that when when you say that your location is a character, that's an important part to really color it in with the negatives and the positives of the place and, and really get the sense. I mean, you must have done, a, you must have talked to a lot of people though, because it's when you, with the uh, focus loss, just because it is a celebrity story and you did pinpoint a lot of very specific places that are familiar to real Angelinos. So um, I thought it was really fun to read because of that. I thought that was, that was really neat. And um, so, so Doug, uh, in Focus Lost, um, where did you get the idea of uh, paparazzi and, uh, you know, that, that whole world? Because it's such a big part of L.A. And, you know, funny enough, I, I used to live on a street that um, Paris Hilton was on. And it was during, I, I guess it was about six, seven years ago when a bunch of stuff was going on. And when I would go up the street... 20 or 30 paparazzi cars would come flying down and you almost get killed. And I thought it was hysterical, but I mean, that's, it's a real thing. And it's a, it's an integral part of your story. Can you uh, tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are on that, that whole world? Yeah. So uh, initially what I was, you know, going, uh, what I was thinking when I was putting the structure together is I wanted to tell this, you know, triangle story between the, the actor Levi Combs, 
his agent, Ava Flores, and this photographer, Gabe Adams. And I didn't want to make Gabe just a pure paparazzi and do that. So I wanted to make him a nature photographer, a landscape photographer that, you know, is really trying to do his art, but gets kind of sucked in and lured into this world that he doesn't really know about. And, and it's really kind of that triangle of, you know, and, and the, the title focus lost draws from paradise lost and, and the garden of Eden story where that Levi, the actor is the devil and Ava is the Eve character. The agent is the Eve character. And, Gabe Adams is is the Adam character and I wanted to you know this idea of temptation and that fine line between passion and obsession um but I wanted to make him a bit more um grounded and and that but get pulled into into that you know kind of parasitic uh you know world of of the paparazzi and and I think you know try to show how how he would go from one thing to the next and and show that side of things that that's really fun and it's uh it, it's something that we kind of had in common in these two books and there's a Jennifer Morton ends up and that character they are both they don't start out with the same with your paparazzi um yeah he was a nature photographer and then he gets he gets he gets uh, a taste of what he could do with it and the same thing with Jennifer Morton in the end she gets sucked into a system that she went after in the first place but she starts to see you know the benefit of it and and yeah. uh, temptations and i think that that's interesting especially for certain type of characters that are a little bit more critical or uh, judgmental and to see them confronted with the same things that they criticized at the beginning. And I think that, that was neat, but there, there's another element to your story that I, I wanted to ask you about. And, uh, if you can elaborate on the whole addiction aspect of it, because I thought that was also fascinating. Yeah. The, you know, I have a tendency of really building in a lot of vices into, into my characters. Um, and those temptations, especially with, with this one. And as I said, it being kind of modeled after creation story. So that temptation and that addiction, um, that, you know, Levi, um, succumbs to, but also Ava has is addicted to the power, um, that she has over, over things. So I, I think I wanted to just show that and, and these characters are fallible and, you know, that. Um, that's kind of a, a part of who they are. And, you know, almost we all have those apples that pop up in our in our life's journey. And it's often not necessarily, you know, the action that gets us in trouble. It's kind of the reaction and the repetition of that stuff, that habit forming that really takes our lives off course. Did you did you read Girl on a Train? And and I'm only saying that because um, uh, uh, the writer you know wrote about alcoholism in such a profound way, um, and I, I it got me thinking too. In the book that I'm currently writing, I'm trying to give some vices that are appropriate. And when you start to get into that world of of all those deficiencies and how it affects them, you know, in their day to day, you know, it, it opens up all kinds of opportunities for the writer. Yeah. And it's also, you know, a really delicate balance too. I think, you know, in, in outside in, um, which was, 
you know, kind of, I've always described as a cross between catcher and the rye and fear and loathing in uh, mm-hmm. Las Vegas was there's such excess and the excess is such a metaphor that the characters are, are having to lose themselves in this excess to really find out who they are. But it's almost the, the delicate balance is if you tell too much of the truth, you can lose a lot of people in, in the narrative. So that's where I think those those details and I kind of ear, uh, bookmarked one one passage I want to share that kind of ties into um, from from Flamingo Coast what you know you were talking about in 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 your character and how she gets sucked into this wor- world and it's she went out to the terrace the sun was just coming over the horizon glowing amber over the harbor the air was a fragrant mix of flowers and salty sea. She thought it was ironic that she had come to this place looking for a financial fugitive in the most guarded haven in the world. And now she was in his home wearing his pajamas and on the run, forced to think like an escape artist. And I just love that passage because I think it shows so much about your writing and, you know, you set this and paint this beautiful picture but just within that small passage, there's these twists and turns and juxtaposition and shows how, you know, she came and the transformation that she's she's going through. And it's just such an example of, you know, I thought then I was like, wow, that is just beautiful and just conveys so much. Thank you. It sounds so, so much better when you actually... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was well, you. You actually nailed the uh, that pivotal point when she when she just turned and and you know she became uh, she became the person she was after in a sense and you know metaphorically and physically and and uh, that that is the precise turning point that paragraph actually. So thank you for that. Just beautiful, and you know I think another thing we share in, in our in our writing is we do like to work in you know, uh, kind of true current events and, and different things. And there was another reference you had um, to a Twittering president responding with outrage in a 280 character rant that ended with the words, very sad. <laughs> Hillary was still had potential to win. So <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one of the things I was, I was, I was wondering, um, you know, because I know this book came out in in uh, this this January 2019, yeah. but obviously backed that up. And I was thinking, okay, when when did he when did he write write this? And did you write it with the? Uh, was that a little bit of your clairvoyance, or or how how did you nail that? Was that a later edit that you worked in? My first draft, it, it, uh, it really was, uh, I really thought Hillary was about to win, and I did have a female president when I talked about that, and then as soon as, that was like one of the first things, as soon as we got into editing, um, I was like, oops, <laughs> and so I changed it then, so, uh, and the editing uh, process on this book, actually, it took me a while, you know, I got I got the first draft of notes, and it, it and they weren't that extensive, but I, I dove in, and, and found things like never before that uh, because of the twists and the, the complexities of, of the uh, subplot in the historical, it, it really, um, it really kept evolving in that process. But yeah, um, the, you know, that, that is, is something you have to be careful with current events. And, you know, in, in the book that I, I wrote right before the second son, 
there's a lot of technology and some of the, some of the technology I made up, I, you know, based on what's out there now. And I, um, you know, developed something that was quite possible, but I was also very aware that, you know, a year from now, this could start being either right on or dated, you know? Yeah. And, and what's, what's the process like for you? I know for me with, um, you know, my books, it's been a little different for each one. I kind of let the story dictate like with the investment club, that's about five broken people that meet in, in Vegas at a blackjack table. And the, the chapters, kind of the narrative moves from character to character and the, and the timeline's a little different. I had to be really structured and, you know, I had spreadsheet and columns and rows and really, really mapping it out. And actually for Focus Lost, I originally wrote it first as a screenplay and I really wanted to kind of block it out and have that style of a screenplay because, again, kind of a tie-in to the whole you know, paradise lost and the, and the, the religious, um, and biblical symbolism, you know, kind of having it told from this eye in the sky, the character, you know, or the, the camera and also kind of like the eye of God. So I thought, Oh, why don't I write it as a screenplay and really have to force myself to block it up into scenes and, you know, make it more visual and, and do that. And then, so I had done that and then, wrote it as an as a novel after so during your uh your process how do you how do you approach and and you know like with this and was it different from second son and flamingo coast it's funny i did i did a very similar thing and and um flamingo coast definitely started as a, a screenplay um that I, I just needed to do it that way just to see the structure in 120 pages because it was getting so complex. And I did it with The Second Son too, but I did a very rough screenplay first and then just immediately went into the book part. The, the, the book I'm writing now, which I'm uh, working title is called Unmanned, um, I'm not doing that. And I did a very detailed outline, and I think that the outline itself was about 30 pages, 20, 30 pages. And I, I kind of wished I did the screenplay because when you, when you do the screenplay, you're, you're forced to be sparse with every scene. And, you know, I think you and I do another thing that's similar is that a lot of information is through the dialogue. Yeah. You know, a lot of exposition is tied into it in a very subtle way that, uh, you know, so it's not overwhelming, but it, you know, it, it it's fun to read, but you're still getting a lot of information. It's very purposeful, you know, for every line said. Yeah. And I think, you know, hearing the, you know, painstaking approach that you go, you went through and in, in doing the editing, I, I think that's probably a comfort to all the writers that are listening and myself, you know, because if you were able to just sit down and, and, and do a draft, with the way I think the flow that you have, I think it would piss off a lot of other writers because it just flows so well. And I think, you know, knowing that you're sitting there, you know, and taking that extra time, even if you're not getting notes back that you're like, no, this isn't just quite right because it, it really does come through. And as you said, even that relaying details through dialogue is so, so delicate, right? Because, you can lose the character so quickly if it goes on too long or it slips out of their voice and, you know, becomes too fact figure. Um, and I, I just think it, it, you know, I never felt that, uh, never felt that at all when I was reading. 
Um, and, and how would you, you said there was a connection between second son and, um, and Flamingo coast. Um, what was that? It, does that something that kind of evolved or did you, are you always going in and is unmanned that you're working on now? Is there a thread through, through that as well? There, there may, yes, there's, there's a, but it's a very slight thread. So it wouldn't definitely, it wouldn't connect the books yet. And it, and I think what happened to me was, they were just themes that I was thinking about while I was going back and forth between the different stories. And obviously we all as writers have two or three themes that keep reoccurring over and over again. And I, you know, I just, I tend to move towards the things I'm, I'm so interested in. It's usually, you know, a, an open-ended question that I, I have every, <laughs> every, you know, every uh, character event, you know, that's the lead character eventually ask at some point. So I think it's, it's, it's partially just that I'm, I'm asking myself these questions and, and searching for answers. And, and, and you could probably relate to this when you start writing a story and you're writing about um, an industry like you're interested in, like you said, you pick a, you pick an area and, and, and or a location and it, it becomes such a, uh, an important part. You do research and you bring it all together. And very often the, the story tells itself, I know it's a cliche, but it, it actually does. It sort of formulates as you're going, but you can't keep out your own personal influence and the questions you're asking and the themes. And, you know, um, it, you know, I, I, I don't know where I've heard this before, but I think uh, as far as uh, film directors, people always say every, every, there's one or two stories and they just keep repeating mm -hmm. them. And I think that I, I, I think, um, there, there's some through line in, in almost everything that I've ever done and, and almost everybody that I study. I mean, I have a lot of I have a lot of writers that are really like thriller writers that I love to read. Like I, I love Harlan Cope. He's just mm -hmm. he's great at taking, you know, your average suburban life and, and finding some some way. And, he, you know, there's a lot of reoccurring things, but he's so prolific and he comes out with a book every year at least. And. And, um, but it's so readable, but it's a lot of it repeats. And I, I think, yeah. So anyway, I think that all, you know, writers do, uh, repeat themes and I think that's okay because there's so many different angles to look at everything that you're best fun, a uh, fun way to look at your own work and be aware of. Yeah. And you, you, you talked several, uh, referenced several times through the podcast here about different authors and books you're reading. You obviously read a lot. Um, and, and I know a lot of writers have different approach when you're writing, like you're working on, on your new piece. Now, are you actively reading? Do you read in between things or, or do you find that it's, um, you enjoy reading while you're writing? That's another great question because I know some writers just can't read other writers, uh, when they're writing because they're afraid they're going to mimic them. Um, and others just read everything that's similar you know so um i guess i'm somewhere in between because I'm, I'm always reading a book you know and it depends how busy my life is uh you know <laughs> how many how many i'm reading mm -hmm. uh, but um but you know i i i think it's important to constantly be feeding yourself with information of uh, whether it's other novelists or or just subject matter of what you're what you're going through what about you are you a big reader yeah, I, I love I love reading, especially when I'm I probably read more when I'm I'm heavily into a draft. Um, number one, it just kind of puts my brain in a different space. And it's also really inspiring to me, you know, like when I read something, you know, like Flamingo Coast, and I just really 
enjoy it and I'm able to lose myself in it and, you know, just appreciate, you know, the, the beautiful language and the storytelling, you know, I find that it's inspiring. And, you know, when I'm ready to sit down at the blank page the next day, you know, it kind of, it, it fuels me. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree completely. I think it's, uh, there, and there's so many great different types of writers and, you know, you, you find your own voice anyway. And, and, you know, for me, it's like I, I sort of think of it as a like a sieve, you know, like every day, every day I start again, wherever I am, or, or especially in the rewriting process. And I start from the beginning and read it fresh through as if I'm, I'm a new reader, you know, with the material. And I do that process over and over again with every chapter. You know, so it so it feels I try to get the feel of the flow of, uh, of the reader and I often will take breaks um right now the the projects i'm working on i took a good month off and i i um wanted to get some feedback but um i could really see it as a reader instead of a writer yeah and do you do you have anything that you do i mean do you have you know i know you've done a lot of film and and um writing for the screen do you have actors read do you read stuff out aloud or you know how do you kind of maybe get a little uh, distance or, or kind of see what and hear what you're writing? You know, I have tried having actors read stuff, and it makes me squirm when I hear my words read. <laughs> I say, oh, I didn't sound that way. That sounds awful. So I tend just to do it to myself. I don't, I don't read out loud because uh, I think I sound terrible when I read out loud. So I, I really just read silently in the way. Way that I want to hear it and and do it over and over again, you know, till it sounds right to me. So it is, it is a rhythm that you're going for. And to everybody, we all hear things differently. So we all have, yeah. you know, I just I just try to be really aware of making sure my characters don't sound like me or like each other. I really try to give them their own voice, and that's that's fun for me. And it's it's like anything else. There's a first draft of that, a second draft, because I think you know. When you'd write dialogue at first, a lot of it is exposition or just trying to get the idea across or the information across. And then, like on the next passes, you start to really break it down to, to whose voice you're hearing. And, and, you know, everybody has a different process of this, but we're all, we all hear things differently. And I think that's what makes all, all writers uh, good at it. But I think people like yourself that have done some screenplays um, do tend to spend more time on the dialogue. Uh, and, and give it give it more importance, and not just the prose. And you know, I think it's a, it's a very important aspect. Yeah, those first drafts, I always refer to it as throwing up on the page and yeah. cleaning it up later. You know, just trying to get it, just trying to get it out and down, and in some kind of form that can be worked with uh, later. Um, and what what's your website? Uh, www. Uh, Martin J Weiss, M A R T I N J A Y W E I S S dot com, and uh, yeah, my events and everything is listed there. Uh, uh, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff is on there. What what what, what about yours? What is your uh, website? Yeah, mine is bycooper.com, dot com. B Y C O O P E R dot com, and and similar. You know, this podcast will be up on there. Um, and you know, I have, you know, autograph books, I have the events, I have other writings, the blog that I'm keeping up. So if you ever want to check out what's going on with me, you know, it's by, by cooper.com. Um, any last words before we wrap anything you want to share? Um, 
It's, it's baseball season. You seem like you're a baseball fan, so I was going to ask who your favorite team is. Yep, it's uh, the Indians. Love it. All right, well, thanks, Martin, for joining us here on In Conversation. I'm Doug Cooper, author of the award-winning fiction Outside In and the Investment Club and the new thriller Focus Lost. This podcast is sponsored by Rare Bird Books, based in Los Angeles, a publisher of 50-plus books per year, distributed worldwide by PGW. Thanks for joining our conversation on Rare Bird Radio. We look forward to talking to you real soon.